Matthew Henry's Commentary on the Whole Bible. Numbers 27. Here is, 1. The case of Zelophehad's daughters determined, verses 1 to 11. 2. Notice given to Moses of his death approaching, verses 12 to 14. 3. Provision made of a successor in the government, 1. By the prayer of Moses, verses 15 to 17. 2. By the appointment of God, verse 18, etc. The daughters of Zelophehad, 1452 BC. 1. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh the son of Joseph, and these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Tirzah. 2. And they stood before Moses, and before Eleazar the priest, and before the princes, and all the congregation, by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Three our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin, and had no sons. For why should the name of our father be done away from among his family, because he hath no son? Give unto us therefore a possession among the brethren of our father. 5 And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. 6 And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, 7 The daughters of Zelophehad speak right, Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance, an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. 8 And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die, and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. 9 And if he have no daughter, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. 10 And if he have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. 11 And if his father have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his kinsman that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it, and it shall be unto the children of Israel a statute of judgment, as the Lord commanded Moses. Mention is made of the case of these daughters of Zelophehad in the chapter before, verse 33. It should seem, by the particular notice taken of it, that it was a singular case, and that the like did not at this time occur in all Israel, that the head of a family had no sons, but daughters only. Their case is again debated, chapter 36. Upon another article of it, and, according to the judgments given in their case, we find them put in possession, Joshua 17 verses 3 and 4. One would suppose that their personal character was such as added weight to their case, and caused it to be so often taken notice of. Here is, 1. Their case stated by themselves, and their petition upon it presented to the highest court of judicature, which consisted of Moses as king, the princes as lords, and the congregation or elders of the people who were chose their representatives, as the commons, verse 2. This august assembly sat near the door of the taber tabernacle, that in difficult cases they might consult the oracle. To them these young ladies made their application, for it is the duty of magistrates to defend the fatherless, Psalm 82 verse 3. We find not that they had any advocate to speak for them, but they managed their own cause ingeniously enough, which they could do the better because it was plain and honest, and spoke for itself. Now observe. 1. What it is they petitioned for, that they might have a possession in the land of Canaan, among the brethren of their father, verse 4. What God had said to Moses, chapter 26 verse 53, he had faithfully made known to the people, that the land of Canaan was to be divided among those that were now numbered, 
these daughters knew that they were not numbered, and therefore by this rule must expect no inheritance, and the family of their father must be looked upon as extinct and written childless, though he had all these daughters, this they thought hard, and therefore prayed to be admitted heirs to their father and to have an inheritance in his right. If they had had a brother, they would not have applied to Moses, as one did to Christ, Luke 12 verse 13, for an order to inherit with him. But, having no brother, they beg for a possession. Herein they discovered, 1. A strong faith in the power and promise of God concerning the giving of the land of Canaan to Israel. Though it was yet unconquered, untouched, and in the full possession of the natives, yet they petitioned for their share in it as if it were all their own already. See Psalm 60 verses 6 and 7, God has spoken in His holiness, and the Gilead is mine, Manasseh is main. 2. An earnest desire of a place and name in the land of promise, which was a type of heaven, and if they had, as some think, an eye to that, and by this claim laid hold on eternal life, they were five wise virgins indeed, and their example should quicken us with all possible diligence to make sure our title to the heavenly inheritance, in the disposal of which, by the covenant of grace, no difference is made between male and female. Galatians 3 verse 28. 3. A true respect and honor for their father, whose name was dear and precious to them now that he was gone, and they were therefore solicitous that it should not be done away from among his family. There is a debt which children owe to the memory of their parents, required by the fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother. 2. What their plea is, that their father did not die under any attainder which might be thought to have corrupted his blood and forfeited his estate, but he died in his own sin, verse 3, not engaged in any mutiny or rebellion against Moses, particularly not in that of Korah and his company, nor in any way concerned in the sins of others, but char chargeable only with the common iniquities of mankind, for which to his own master he was to stand or fall, but laid not himself open to any judicial process before Moses and the princes. He was never convicted of anything that might be a bar to his children's claim. It is a comfort to parents when they come to die, if, though they smart themselves for their own sin, yet they are not conscious to themselves of any of those iniquities which God visits upon the children. 2. Their case determined by the divine oracle. Moses did not presume to give judgment himself, because, though their pretensions seemed just and reasonable, yet his express orders were to divide the land among those that were numbered, who were the males only. He therefore brings their cause before the Lord, and waits for his decision, verse 5, and God himself gives the judgment upon it. He takes cognizance of the affairs, not only of nations, but of private families, and orders them in judgment, according to the counsel of his own will. 1. The petition is granted, verse 7 They speak right, give them a possession. Those that seek an inheritance in the land of promise shall have what they seek, and other things shall be added to them. These are claims which God will countenance and crown. 2. The point is settled for all future occasions. These daughters of Zelophe had consulted, not only their own comfort and the credit of their family, but the honor and happiness of their sex likewise, for on this particular occasion a general law was made that, in case a man had no son, his estate should go to his daughters, verse 8, not to the eldest, as the eldest son, but to them all in copartnership, share and share alike. Those that in such a case deprive their daughters of their right, purely to keep up the name of their family, unless a valuable consideration be allowed them, may make the entail of their land surer than the entail of a blessing with them. Further directions are given for the disposal of inheritances, verses 9 to 11. If a man have no issue at all, his estate shall go to his brethren, if no brethren, then to his father's brethren, 
and if there be no such, then to his next kinsman. With this the rules of our law exactly agree, and though the Jewish doctors here will have it understood that if a man have no children his estate shall go to his father, if living, before his brethren, yet there is nothing of that in the law, and our common law has an express rule against it, that an estate cannot ascend lineally, so that if a person purchase lands in fee simple, and die without issue in the lifetime of his father, his father cannot be his heir. See how God makes heirs, and in his disposal we must acquiesce. Moses warned of his death, 1452 BC. 12 And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this Mount Abram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. 13 And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. 14 For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes, that is the water of Meribah in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Here, 1. God tells Moses of his fault, his speaking unadvisedly with his lips at the waters of strife, where he did not express, so carefully as he ought to have done, a regard to the honor both of God and Israel, verse 14. Though Moses was a servant of the Lord, a faithful servant, yet once he rebelled against God's commandment, and failed in his duty, and though a very honorable servant, and highly favored, yet he shall hear of his miscarriage, and all the world shall hear of it too, again and again, for God will show his displeasure against sin, even in those that are nearest and dearest to him. Those that are in reputation for wisdom and honor have need to be constantly careful of their words and ways, lest at any time they say or do that which may be a diminution to their comfort, or to their credit, or both, a great while after. 2. He tells Moses of his death. His death was the punishment of his sin, and yet notice is given him of it in such a manner as might best serve to sweeten and mollify the sentence, and reconcile him to it. 1. Moses must die, but he shall first have the satisfaction of seeing the land of promise, verse 12. God did not intend with this sight of Canaan to tantalize him, or upbraid him with his folly in doing that which cut him short of it, nor had it any impression of that kind upon him, but God appointed it, and Moses accepted it as a favor, his sight, we have reason to think, being wonderfully strengthened and enlarged to take such a full and distinct view of it as did abundantly gratify his innocent curiosity. This sight of Canaan signified his believing prospect of the better country, that is, the heavenly, which is very comfortable to dying saints. 2. Moses must die, but death does not cut him off. It only gathers him to his people, brings him to rest with the holy patriarchs that had gone before him. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were his people, the people of his choice and love, and to them death gathered him. 3. Moses must die, but only as Aaron died before him, verse 13. And Moses had seen how easily and cheerfully Aaron had put off the priesthood first, and then the body. Let not Moses therefore be afraid of dying, it was but to be gathered to his people, as Aaron was gathered. Thus the death of our near and dear relations should be improved by us, one. As an engagement to us to think often of dying. We are not better than our fathers or brethren, if they are gone, we are going, if they are gathered already, we must be gathered very shortly. 2. As an encouragement to us to think of death without terror, and even to please ourselves with the thoughts of it. It is but to die as such and such died, if we live as they lived, and their end was peace, they finished their course with joy, why then should we fear any evil in that melancholy valley? Joshua named as Moses's successor, 1452 BC. 
15 And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, 16 Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, 17 Which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. 18 And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, 19 And set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. 20 And thou shalt put some of thine honour upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. 21 And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord, at his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he, and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. 22 And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation. 23 And he laid his hands upon him, and gave him a charge, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Here, 1. Moses prays for a successor. When God had told him that he must die, though it appears elsewhere that he solicited for a reprieve for himself, Deuteronomy 3 verses 24 and 25, yet, when this could not be obtained, he begged earnestly that the work of God might be carried on, though he might not have the honor of finishing it. Envious spirits do not love their successors, but Moses was not one of these. We should concern ourselves, both in our prayers and in our endeavors, for the rising generation, that religion may flourish, and the interests of God's kingdom among men may be maintained and advanced, when we are in our graves. In this prayer Moses expresses, 1. A tender concern for the people of Israel, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Our Savior uses this comparison in His compassions for the people when they wanted good ministers, Matthew 9 verse 36. Magistrates and ministers are the shepherds of a people, if these be wanting, or be not as they should be, people are apt to wander and be scattered abroad, are exposed to enemies, and in danger of wanting food and of hurting one another, as sheep having no shepherd. 2. A believing dependence upon God, as the God of the spirits of all flesh. He is both the former and the searcher of spirits, and therefore can either find men fit or make them fit to serve his purposes, for the good of his church. Moses prays to God, not to send an angel, but to set a man man over the congregation, that is, to nominate and appoint one whom he would qualify and own as ruler of his people Israel. Before God gave this blessing to Israel, he stirred up Moses to pray for it, thus Christ, before he sent forth his apostles, called to those about him to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest, Matthew 9 verse 38. 2. God, in answer to his prayer, appoints him a successor, even Joshua, who had long since signalized himself by his courage in fighting Amalek, his humility in ministering to Moses, and his faith and sincerity in witnessing against the report of the evil spies, this is the man whom God pitches upon to succeed Moses, a man in whom is the Spirit, the Spirit of grace, he is a good man, fearing God and hating covetousness, and acting from principle, the Spirit of government, he is fit to do the work and discharge the trusts of his place, a spirit of conduct and courage, and he had also the spirit of prophecy, for the Lord often spoke unto him, Joshua 4 verse 1, 6 verse 2, 7 verse 10. Now here. 1. God directs Moses how to secure the succession to Joshua. 1. He must ordain him, lay thy hand upon him, v. 18. 
This was done in token of Moses transferring the government to him, as the laying of hands on the sacrifice put the offering in the place instead of the offerer, also in token of God's conferring the blessing of the Spirit upon him, which Moses obtained by prayer. It is said, Deuteronomy 34 verse 9, Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. This rite of imposing hands we find used in the New Testament in the setting apart of gospel ministers, denoting a solemn designation of them to the office, and an earnest desire that God would qualify them for it and own them in it. It is the offering of them to Christ and His Church for living sacrifices. 2. He must present him to Eliezer and the people, set him before them, that they might know him to be designed of God for this great trust and consent to that designation. 3. He must give him a charge, verse 19. He must be charged with the people of Israel, who were delivered into his hand as sheep into the hand of a shepherd, and for whom he must be accountable. He must be strictly charged to do his duty to them, though they were under his command, he was under God's command, and from him must receive charge. The highest must know that there is a higher than they. This charge must be given him in their sight, that it might be the more affecting to Joshua, and that the people, seeing the work and care of their prince, might be the more engaged to assist and encourage him. 4. He must put some of his honor upon him, verse 20. Joshua at the most had but some of the honor of Moses, and in many instances came short of him, but this seems to be meant of his taking him now, while he lived, into partnership with him and the government and admitting him to act with authority as his assistant. It is an honor to be employed for God in his church, some of this honor must be put upon Joshua, that the people, being used to obey him while Moses lived, might the more cheerfully do it afterwards. 5. He must appoint Eliezer the high priest, with this breastplate of judgment, to be his privy counsel, verse 21 He shall stand before Eliezer, by him to consult the oracle, ready to receive and observe all the instructions that should be given him by it. This was a direction to Joshua. Though he was full of the Spirit, and had all this honor put upon him, yet he must do nothing without asking counsel of God, not leaning to his own understanding. It was also a great encouragement to him. To govern Israel and to conquer Canaan were two hard tasks, but God assures him that in both he should be under a divine conduct, and in every difficult case God would advise him to that which should be for the best. Moses had recourse to the oracle of God himself, but Joshua and the succeeding judges must use the ministry of the high priest, and consult the judgment of Urim which, the Jews say, might not be inquired of, but by the king, or the head of the Sanhedrin, or by the agent or representative of the people, for them, and in their name. Thus the government of Israel was now purely divine, for both the designation and direction of their princes were entirely so. At the word of the priest, according to the judgment of Urim, Joshua and all Israel must go out and come in, and no doubt God, who thus guided, would preserve both their going out and their coming in. Those are safe, and may be easy, that follow God, and in all their ways acknowledge Him. 2. Moses does according to these directions, verses 22 and 23. He cheerfully ordained Joshua, 1. Though it was a present lessening to himself, and amounted almost to a resignation of the government. He was very willing that the people should look off from him, and gaze on the rising sun. 2. Though it might appear a perpetual slur upon his family. It would not have been so much his praise if he had thus resigned his honor to a son of his own, but with his own hands first to ordain Eliezer high priest, and then Joshua, one of another tribe, chief ruler, 
while his own children had no preferment at all, but were left in the rank of common Levites, this was such an instance of self-denial and submission to the will of God as was more his glory than the highest advancement of his family could have been, for it confirms his character as the meekest man upon earth, and faithful to him that appointed him in all his house. This, says the excellent Bishop Patrick, shows him to have had a principle which raised him above all other lawgivers, who always took care to establish their families in some share of that greatness which they themselves possessed, but hereby it appeared that Moses acted not from himself, because he acted not for himself.